Good morning, and welcome to Milton Bible Church Online. It's great to be together as a church family online, and as we gather online, we're also gathering live at the Connect Center. It's kind of an unusual uh, time in which uh, we are gathering online and we're also gathering live on Sunday mornings. Uh, and, and it's kind of going to be a time of transition, I, I believe. Uh, what's happening uh, is kind of unusual, kind of strange. So what, what's happening right now is the very same sermon and sermon passage that um, I am giving right now online is the exact same passage that I'm preaching from live on Sunday morning. And what I believe is going to happen is over the next months, we're going to have less and less people online and more and more people live coming Sunday mornings to the Connect Center as people realize how safe it is and how much we enjoy being together and as we return to a new normal uh, during these days. I really believe that is the future of the church and uh, I'm looking forward to when we can gather as an entire church family uh, together in person because we miss each other so much. Well, listen, we've been talking about the book of Revelation. And we've been studying the seven letters to the seven churches of Revelations chapter two and three. And today we're gonna to continue that study as we look at the letter to the church of Thyatira. As we begin, I wanna ask you this one question. And here's the question I wanna ask you. If you knew that your faith in Christ and following Jesus would cost you your job, would you continue to follow Christ? I mean, let's put it even a little farther. If you believed or you even knew that it would cost you not only your job but your livelihood and perhaps you would never be able to work in that industry again because of your Christian conscience and because of following Jesus, would you continue to follow Jesus? I want to give you a couple examples. I don't know if you've ever heard of the name Jack Phillips. Jack Phillips is a Christian baker in Colorado. He is known as the cake artist. In his cake artistry, he represented himself and he uh, did, uh, took special orders for people in the community and built a fairly substantial business. Until one day when someone walked in and asked him if he would bake a certain kind of cake, to which he said he could not. He could not because as an artist, it would violate his Christian conscience and his belief system in following Jesus. And so what happened as a result of that, he was taken to court. He was charged. In fact, he was taken to court twice and both times the court case went to the US Supreme Court in which in both times ruled in favor of Jack Phillips and his right to live according to his Christian conscience. But in the midst of all that, in the midst of the lawyer's fees, in the midst of the bad press, in the midst of the attacks, Jack Phillips has basically lost his livelihood. He's lost almost all of his business. He has, he has become impoverished and almost broken. And what has happened since then, even in the past year, uh, a group has come and launched a civil case against him in order 
to try and squeeze whatever money is left out of him. And the goal is this, and it's publicly known that they're targeting him, breaking him. In other words, what they're saying is if you do not live by the cultural values that we dictate, we will destroy you. Or how about another case? The case of Jaylene Henkel, a U.S. national soccer player who grew up in Texas. She grew up in Texas as an outstanding athlete, both at the high school and the college level. She led her teams to championship after championship until the day where she was asked to put on a jersey with the national team that was in support of, of the Pride campaign. To which she said that would violate her Christian conscience and it would violate her own personal set of beliefs in following Jesus. And while she loved her teammates and she served them and was, was, was a great player and a great participant together, she felt that that was not something that she could do. And as a result, she was dismissed from the national team and eventually her professional soccer career was ruined. Here's the deal. She paid a price. She, pray, she paid a price. And people who have had to choose between their Christian conscience and compromise in their personal belief system, they have paid a price. And the church that we're going to study today, the church of Thyatira, this is exactly the issue that they're facing. That the Christians in Thyatira had to make a choice. Do I compromise my Christian conscience or do I lose my livelihood? And do you know what? The pressure to compromise is all around us. In our culture today, just as it was in Thyatira, just as it is in, in, in many parts of our country. Let me tell you a little bit about the town of Thyatira. Thyatira was founded by Alexander the Great. It's not a wealthy city like some of the other cities that we've been looking at in the book of Revelation, some of the other seven uh, cities that we've studied, because this is a working class city. It's a blue collar people who many worked in the four guilds, and the guild was kind of like a union, um, centered around a certain kind of work. And the four guilds that were uh, really organized the entire city were the guilds of the textiles, the silversmiths, the bronze smiths, and the pottery guild. And each one of these guilds uh, had their own worship system that was a part of the guild system. And the largest of that was uh, the patron god Apollo. Now, Apollo was the son of Zeus. He was the most powerful of the Greek gods was Zeus. And Apollo was his son. And his title in the community was Apollo, son of God. And his, and, and his following represented more of the guilds than anyone else. And the, and the way of work and the way of worship were intermingled in Thyatira so that as you belong to one, you must belong to the other. 
He was called the Son of God. So you kind of see where this is going. He would be in direct conflict with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And people would have to make a choice. You see, Apollo festivals, not only did they include membership in the guild, but they also included worship, they included food, they included gatherings, friendship, relatives, other relatives were in the guild, and your guild determined your religion. And the big idea in the letter to Thyatira is this. Compromise kills the church. Christian conscience compromise kills the church and it will kill your relationship with Christ. And that is the big picture here as Christ writes to the church in Thyatira. Let me just read that. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality because I will throw her onto a sickbed or sorry, behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart, and I will give each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give the authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. The big idea here in this letter to the church of Thyatira is, is this. As I said before, compromise kills the church. And the message to, this, to, to that church and to this church and to all churches is don't compromise your Christian conscience as it will destroy your spiritual life and it will kill the church. You see, in verse 18, Jesus introduces himself as the Son of God. It's a fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2, but it's also a direct challenge to uh, the Son of God, the title of the Son of God, Apollos. You see, there's only one Lord, one Lord of all, only one Lord to be worshipped 
forever and ever, and his name is Jesus. The description that Jesus says to give of himself is that his eyes are like a flame of fire. Now, what does that mean? What it means that Jesus has, is saying, I have the ability to discern and to see and to evaluate and to judge exactly what is happening on the ground and in the heart. The works and the hands and the heart. He says, I have the ability to make that judgment call and to see things as they are. The second description Jesus says, tells John to give the church at Thyatira is his feet are like burnished bronze. In other words, they're stable, they're strong, they're solid. We can trust him in our time of trial. And what Jesus is doing is he's calling us, he's calling us to not compromise He's calling us to have a clear Christian conscience. He's following us. He's calling us to worship the Lord fully with all that we have and all that we are. And he's saying, I am standing strong and I am with you in this. He's telling us how to protect our hearts. And so this morning, we're going to very quickly look at three ways Jesus tells us to protect our hearts in this passage. And the first thing that he tells us to do is to examine our works. He says, examine your works. In verse 19, listen to what he says. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Now understand this. Jesus is about to bring a very strong rebuke to the church in Thyatira. A very strong rebuke. But before he does that, he mentions some good things. He mentions some good things. And he finds some good things just like a loving parent would. He talks wonderfully about their love, faith, service, and patient endurance. And he says, listen, we all know about your love. Your love for God and your love for each other. And it's incredible. And he said, I also want to commend you on your faith. You have faith in God for things now and in the future. Your faith in God is strong and it's rooted deep. He says, I also want to commend you on your service. Your service to one another in the church and your service to the community. It's outstanding. And then he says, I want to commend you on your patient endurance. Everybody knows that you have patiently endured through difficult times over and over again. Now, understand this. These are incredible qualities. And here's the point. That no matter how bad things get, there's always good to find. You are never a write-off with God, no matter what your situation. If you have conflict in your marriage, maybe you've burnt some bridges with your children, or maybe you're in a financial you know, position that you never dreamed would happen, but now you're just destitute, or maybe your heart is just cold towards God and you're burnt out and you're beat up and you are empty. All this may be true, but understand this. You are not beyond redemption with God. And you are not beyond his grace. 
Because no matter what is happening in your life, no matter the circumstances that, are sur- that is surrounding you, when God looks at you, he sees beautiful things. He sees beauty. He sees good things. No matter who you are or what you've done. And the church in Thyatira, who's known for their love and faith and service and patient endurance, we might say to ourselves, wow, what a church. And not only that, Jesus says, your latter works exceed the first. And what he's saying is, listen, your latter works in these areas, they have exceeded what they were in the beginning. Your faith now is bigger and better. Your love now is stronger and more widespread. Your service to one another and your community is growing. And all these things, the things that have happened latter, have been better than they were before. I mean, if we stopped right here, we would say to ourselves, hey, this is the kind of church I want to belong to. This is the kind of church that's for me. This is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. I mean, it's a phenomenal, uh, a phenomenal uh, discussion. And how do we know these wonderful things? Because the one who has examined the church has eyes like flames of fire who has the ability to discern and to see and to properly evaluate and even to judge. And what this passage does, it really does beg us to examine ourselves. It begs us to examine ourselves, our heart and our works. I mean, when was the last time you had a heart-to-heart with yourself? A heart-to-heart with yourself where you really examined your heart and you really examined your life and really examined your works to determine where you were really at. Let me ask you, are things in your life pure or are they broken? Are you growing in grace or are you drifting from God? And maybe during these months of COVID, You know, maybe as our lives have been, many of us up in an upheaval, maybe you've slid away from the throne of grace and your love for him and a pure heart that wants to find you. Are you wandering from Jesus? You know, a few years ago, I went on a sabbatical. Actually, it was in 2012. And uh, I took a course called um, Leading by Grace. And one of the, part of the course was to do a self-evaluation. So I gave a number of questionnaires out to a number of people around me. I did some, you know, personality tests and all this kind of stuff. Then I went down to St. Louis uh, where this course was being hosted. And they were able to pick me apart and tell me in my leadership style and my relationships and the way I thought, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, I, I would have these and that, uh, that kind of thing. And you know what I found? What I found, it was like a tale of two cities. There were some things that were incredible strengths, and they were absolutely fabulous. But there were, there were other parts of the study in which I was positive were wrong. They had to be wrong. And so I would argue with that, no, no, that cannot be right. But I really came to the conclusion, as I looked at what came out of the study, and I looked at my own life, I said, hey, there are areas 
that I have room to grow. There are areas in which I have much to praise God for, and there are areas in which I am really significantly challenged and I need to grow in. So let me ask you something. Will you examine yourself? Because I will tell you, there will, you'll find some good things. But you will also find some things that need to change. And I would encourage you to invite other people into that process. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your children, maybe it's coworkers, maybe it's a boss. Um, maybe it's, you know, a friend, a relative, you know, even a neighbor. But the person that I would encourage you to invite most into that process is the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, if you ask him to come to examine your heart for the good and the bad, he will come. And he will expose those things. And he will make them known so that you can indeed uh, uh, grow in those. So secondly, the second way to be careful of compromise or protect ourselves from compromise is to confront and repent our idols. And in verse 20, it says this of Revelation chapter 2. It says, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. Now, the key word in this passage is right in the very first sentence where Jesus rebukes the church for tolerating Jezebel and her teachings. Tolerate. That's the key word to remember. You see, in Thyatira, the church had allowed themselves to be seduced. They had allowed themselves to be seduced to mix the sexual immorality of the culture into their lives as they sought to follow Jesus Christ. And that is what was happening. While Jezebel wasn't her real name, I'm sure, what it was was a throwback to the Jezebel of the Old Testament who was married to a weak king of Israel, King Ahaz, in which Jezebel seduced Ahaz from following the God of Israel into following the teachings of the prophets of, Baal, prophets of Baal. And in Thyatira, this is what she said. She said, listen, I have found a way for you to exist in the church and in the culture, to stay in the guild and to keep your job and to continue to earn a living. But this was a false teaching <clears throat> because it was impossible to mix the sexual ethics of the day with following Jesus Christ with all their hearts. It was an impossible mixture in Thyatira and it's an impossible mixture at Milton Bible Church 
It was an impossible mixture then, and it's an impossible mixture now. What we need to understand is that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over all. He's Lord over our job. He's Lord over our marriage. He's Lord over our parenting. He's Lord over our finances. He's Lord over our free time. He's Lord over the church. Either he is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. You see, Jesus isn't just some warm, fuzzy, I want to feel loved or get me out of trouble card that I can play or the kind of, he's the kind of guy that's going to be my self-improvement plan to make my life better. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the Lord. He is the Son of God. He is the King of Kings. And for all of us, we need to bow down to him. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, understand that there is a woman in your midst and you know who she is and she has seduced you into believing that you can somehow follow Jesus and participate in the sexual immorality of your culture. And Jesus is saying, you can't. You can't. Jesus must be Lord and he must even be Lord over our sexuality. Now I want you to understand our sexuality is an incredibly powerful thing, an incredibly powerful thing. And for many, this can be a great struggle. And we need to give to God, not just the little things in our lives, but the big things too. We need to give him the great things as an act of worship including our sexuality. We need to give that to him and surrender it to him as an act of worship under his, uh, the guidance of his word, under the truth of his teaching, under the values of his kingdom. You know, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says this, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. And the misuse of our sexuality leads to brokenness. But Jesus is the great healer of the broken. He is also the great judge who is qualified and able to make things right. And what was Jesus so upset about? He was upset that the church was tolerating Jezebel and her teachings. Now tolerance... That's a big word in our culture. It's one of the things that we wear as Canadians with a badge of honor. But, you know, is tolerance always a good thing? Well, it depends upon what you tolerate. So the classic definition of tolerance through the years was this, to disagree civilly. That was the classic definition, to disagree civilly. The current definition of tolerance in our culture is to agree and to endorse. It's really changed over the years. So so if you tolerate, let's say, something like country music, you know, kind of on the bubble there, uh, it's good. But if you sit silent and you tolerate injustice amongst visible minorities, then that kind of tolerance 
and silence is wrong. If you tolerate false teaching that you can have sexual immorality in the church and follow Jesus, then it's time to repent and to make a change because that's bad. And Jesus says, listen, I have given her time. I have given her opportunity. This has not been a quick judgment, nor have I been impatient with this. She has much time to change, and so have her followers. But now I'm going to step in, and now I'm going to deal with this. At the beginning of the sermon, I asked you a question. If you knew following Jesus would cause you to lose your job, would you continue to follow him? Well, let me ask you another question. If you knew that following Jesus and living fully as a Christian could cause you to lose a relationship, would you continue to follow him? Well, the last thing that Jesus tells us to do to protect uh, our hearts against compromise is to embrace our witness. In verses 24 to 29, this is what he says. He says, listen, not all of you have given to the, into this, and I want you to hold strong in what you are doing and in who you are. Verse 24 it says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. I will give him the morning star. Three times in three different ways, Jesus tells those Christians who are not compromising, who are living fully for him, who have had to pay a price in their culture for living according to the teachings of Christ, according to the teachings of the word of God, and have paid a price for this. He says, listen, I'm not going to lay one more thing upon you. The only thing I want you to do is keep going. Hold fast. Don't stop. Your testimony is making a difference. Your testimony and your witness in your Christian conscience is promoting the kingdom. Your testimony and your witness in, in, in having a clear uh, Christian belief system that acts itself out in everyday life is an incredible witness and has incredible power with your neighbors, with your workmates, with your children who are watching. So hold fast. Don't stop. And when I come, I will give you the authority to rule along with me. But not only that, I will give you the morning star, the bright and morning star. And what is the bright and morning star? The bright and morning star is Jesus himself. Jesus himself. I mean, what could be more wonderful than having Christ fully alive in us? Knowing him fully, enjoying him fully, 
communing with him fully in all that he is, in all of his love, in all of his presence, in all of his power, working in our lives each and every day. Continue in this. Continue on. Hold fast. Stay firm. Because in that, I give you all of me, Jesus says. And man, what could be more wonderful than that? What could be more spectacular? What could be more delightful? What could be more enjoyable? Even in the midst of hardship, what could be more fabulous than having a fully alive relationship with him? So let me ask you a question. How's your heart today in the area of compromise. Are you protecting it? Are you making sure that Jesus is Lord of all? That there's nothing from our culture that is seeping in and twisting our lives, especially in the area of sexual immorality, so that we fall away from him, so that we slide away from God so that we begin to drift away from the heart of God? How is your heart today? Are you protecting it? Are you making sure that you are holding fast to the teachings of the scripture, loving him, living for him, having the kind of reputation that this church had in wonderful ways? Let's make sure we do, church. Let's make sure that when Christ returns, that is who he finds us to be. And if not, let's give our hearts to him. Let's give our hearts back to him. Let us say, you are Lord. You are the great lover of my life. You are the one in whom I trust. You are the one in whom I say, examine my heart and let me live fully for you. Church, let's do that. Let's make sure that this COVID-19 doesn't knock the spiritual stuffing out of us. But as we return to the assembly of the saints, as we begin to return to a new normal as, ch- as a church and living for Christ with all our hearts, let's make sure we're fully dedicated to him. To God be the glory and God alone. Have a great day, church. Love you, and just looking forward to growing more together as we see one another face to face. God bless. Amen.